Talk Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful leaders in the business community from around our terrestrial orb I am. Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business, and today you are going to take a, an insider's peek at the very real and very human side of corporate governance. I mean, ideally, those folks all sitting uh, as board of, uh, of directors, they labor to bring sanity and profit to their company, and they groom and guide the CEO and her crew some and help engineer mergers and do all such good growth plans as will bring smiles to the lips of the investors. Marvelous thing. And it's a daunting challenge. Um, And yes, you're going to see how it should be done. And you're also going to see today how it actually does get done, along with the many foibles that occur along the way. And here to prove the truth is a lot more fascinating than fiction is Mr. Mike Marty, who's a veteran board director. Uh, he's been board chair, corporate leader, uh, and CFO, which guided many, many firms, including Nabisco, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, the Curry Coffee folks, you know, Toomey Holdings, the luggage firm, David C., and several others I haven't mentioned. Uh, but so whether you really are a television station chief uh, executive trying to lure the whimsical public like George or you're a CPA just emerging from the mind-numbing crush of tax deadlines like Steve, pull up your chair a little closer. Join our Feast of Wisdom, which is all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. Mike, I'm so glad that you could kind of break free and uh, share a little time with us today. It's great to be with uh, you, Bart. Oh, well, so it really really is good to have a man of your experience here. And now, Mike, as a CFO and a board member and chair, you, in your own caravan career, you've dealt with some of the most successful and intriguing entrepreneurial CEOs, uh, the, that doer and dreamer blend. And then the firm gets launched, and somehow for their own good, uh, or their own company's good, they bring on Mike Marty. So... Uh, when they do, what do you see as your role? Are you the sort of steadfast rock of sensibility and the turbulent sea of fiscal whimsy? Or what? I mean, what, what do you see your, yourself as your job when they call you in? So those enlightened entrepreneurs who are uh, smart enough and uh, effectively uh, for, you know, forward-looking enough to bring in independent board members – your mm-hmm. role or one's role is really to function as uh, uh, some sort of, uh, you may call it a chief reality officer. You may call it a mm-hmm. uh, uh, someone who helps uh, provide advice and counsel on what the proper governance procedures are in a company, someone who maybe offers a little bit of an independent view. Uh, many times uh, people who are founders of companies uh, have themselves surrounded with their friends who basically confirm uh, everything they they uh, think is true and your job is to be uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of a voice of reason uh, essentially and an independent voice who helps guide the company uh, in the right direction uh, you know with this you know never never forgetting about the DNA that the CEO and the founder have uh, have instilled in the company right right now, do you find that that uh, most of the boards we keep hearing about how the makeup of the board is of boards, or rather the the, the job and the role is changing? Uh, do you 
Have you seen? Um, you've just outlined what you do, and it makes it makes a great deal of sense as an independent board member. Uh, is is the job changing in the past? Uh, oh, I don't know, five years, ten years. Well, I think the job has changed dramatically in the past thirty years. It used to be uh, okay. that board board seats were essentially ceremonial. Uh, they were retirement gigs for people who had uh, you know been in industry uh, or were at the end of their uh, uh, end of their career or even in uh, towards the the twilight of their career, but wanting to broaden right. themselves a little bit. And uh, frankly, uh, with the litigious uh, society we live in in the United States, board roles have changed uh, quite dramatically. Uh, we had a very, in the past eight to ten years, a very muscular SEC. We had right. the uh, advent of mutual funds, activist shareholders, hedge funds, all who are pushing and prodding boards to, to do uh, what's right in terms of creating shareholder value. It is a legal minefield, and it is not oh, sure. uh, something that one enters into lightheartedly. You really have to think long and hard about the assignments you take because uh, you're putting yourself at risk and you're putting the company at risk uh, in so many different ways, and you also have a potential to add a lot of value and create a lot of shareholder value if you do things the right way. Oh, that's a very good point. Well spoken. Um all right, well, that sort of brief and tempting nosh at today's Feast of Wisdom. Allow me now to fulfill my duties as proper host and lay before you a few utensils for uh, furthering the feast. And the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, please allow me to ask, will this be the day that you take one more look at all those folks laboring beside you at work and uh, see them or see some technique for making them more partners rather than competitors? Or will you continue to pump up your frustrations with more senseless comparisons? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. As a second utensil, I can sense you are yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 101 Best Business Quips book. So let me pull it out here. Here we go. Okay, here is number 37. Uh, <clears throat> marketing wants it sold for a dime. The CFO wants the profit of a dollar. The CEO wants it produced yesterday. What this firm needs is a chief reality officer. <laughs> Have you ever ever been in one of those companies, Mike? Oh, you know, when you when you get on a board, uh, you wind up uh, mm -hmm. becoming struck with how important it is to. Uh, Excuse me, Mike. Could you could you just try that again? Where you had a little break up there? I'm sorry. sure. When you when you get when you get on a board, you try you try very hard to. See where reality is, uh, Bart. And frankly, um, the CF I see the CFO's role. Especially if the CFO is a is a board member, as being a a guy that you know wants what he, what he wants, what he aspires is a dollar on every widget uh, profit. But what he really has to understand and really have to bring really has to bring to management the idea that uh, you know is a dollar a profit on every widget really doable. Or is it something right. that uh, needs to look at the whole business model and change to to, to get uh, to get more reality focused? I think reality, uh, when you're in a position of power in a corporation, when you're in the C-suite, being right. uh, being uh, rooted in reality is very very important. And uh, a lot of people, mm. I think, 
wind up clinging on to a, an obsolete or a bad business model because they think they can, uh, you know, make it up on volume, so to speak, if they're losing money on every widget. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I can see that. Oh, well, uh, friends, if you uh, laughed a little bit over Mike's comment or the quip itself, oh, we've got them literally by the books full. Just, just visit bartsbooks.com, that's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com, and pick up your copy of 102 or the 101 Best Business Quips, and you are going to place a great fistful of joyous barbs in your verbal quiver, and they are, I guarantee you, they are going to lighten the load of your fellow chain gangers at work. And... Uh, finally, as a third utensil, perhaps we should appropriately uh, in play, call this the positioning prod, uh, we proffer you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the author who noted, the gambling known as business looks with severe disfavor upon the business known as gambling. <laughs> Those words were spoken by none other than the remarkable author of the Sly Devil's Dictionary, Mr. Ambrose Bierce. And stick with us, my friend, because later on in the show, Blurting Your Way comes yet another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you are correct, your knowledge will earn you a marvelous gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. So, with our utensils in hand, my friend, gather up your governing acumen and let us sit uh, at the feet of Mr. Mike Marty with learn some go- governance techniques. Mike, to, um, to help us get a sense of the, the interplay, I'd like to just bring up one of uh, the CEOs, the entrepreneurial-type CEO that you dealt with, Herb Lotman. Now, as I understand it, he started as a Philadelphia butcher from scratch in the 60s, built a $5 billion corporation, fabulous idea, man, Horatio Alger come to life, he sold uh, McDonald's Ray Kroc on the process of frozen meat for his burgers, invented the McNugget. And you joined Herb in 96, I believe, as CFO to sort of put this across this massive, audacious frozen meat processing plan. How did your relationship go? Could you describe that? Yeah, so Herb, Herb had a, had a uh, great vision and a great understanding of um, how, to, how to play in the McDonald's system. Uh, and Herb right. was the world's largest McDonald's supplier. And he hired uh, myself, I think, because he uh, he was grooming his son to take over the company. Uh, but he was also in the process of doing a very major international expansion at the behest of McDonald's. And Herb, uh, who was, uh, as I said, a you know a great relationship guy. Uh, would do anything that McDonald's asked him to do. And I think Herb realized that he needed um, a financial guy and or some other folks around him to help temper his enthusiasm for McDonald's and not, say, build a meat plant in Morocco, which has no McDonald's <laughs> restaurants in it, and which is, you know, the, the, the world's worst place to try to build a meat plant, uh, because they don't have any yeah. cattle in Morocco <laughs> in the first place. Oh, God, uh, it's like but, uh, Herb, Herb, I think, uh, the relationship was a, was a very interesting one. Herb was very fatherly. He was very generous. Um, he also was pretty opinionated about things. Uh, and was uh, was very open to receiving 
points of view. But once oh. he had wanted to uh, move in a direction, he was going in that direction come hell or high water, which is what made him <laughs> a successful entrepreneur in the first place. He wasn't I guess, going to yes, to I some, think that's uh, some some yeah. bookkeeper or some some finance guy or some lawyer when he thought it was the right thing to do in, uh, strategically. Well, I yeah, I you have to have that surety certainly as an entrepreneur, but you need you do need uh, the Mike Martys to tether you. Uh, again, back into reality and 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 see what will will move. Now I know, Mike, that the course of true financial venturism, as we say, does not always run smooth. And I was wondering if you could tell us about uh, Herb's absolute insistence when he took a fiscal fancy to the tech firm, I believe it was ICGE, and there followed a 180-day ensuing roller coaster. Could you tell us about that? It's like a sure. So, so Herb play. was. Uh, this is exactly what I was what I was referring to when I said Herb once he set his mind on doing something, you were going to do it in spite of the wisdom or lack thereof. Uh, but this had nothing to do with McDonald's, ironically. This was all yeah. about uh, Herb's having a friend at his golf club whose son founded an internet company called ICGE. And uh, just at the point in time when ICGE was doing its IPO, Herb thought to himself, hey, let's get out. I should get in on this. I should get in on this internet stuff because I think it'll be yeah. great. And uh, of course, the internet, uh, in this particular case, ICGE had absolutely nothing to do with selling McDonald's hamburgers, chicken, fish, <laughs> or distribution services. It was completely out in left field. And right. I came into my office one day, dropped this prospectus, uh, this five inch thick prospectus on the table, and said, What do you think about this? And I said, Herbie, uh, after looking at it for a day, a day or two, I said, Herbie, this is actually the worst idea I've ever seen. We don't, we don't do this. We're not an Internet investment company. We'd have to borrow the money to invest in this company. And uh-huh, uh-huh. it's just not in our wheelhouse. And Herb said, sure. thank you very much for your input. Buy a million dollars worth. So uh, we did. We borrowed oh, the money. Uh, the banks oh, were very upset with us. Uh, we we borrowed the money, we bought the shares, and every day as the shares would go up, Herb would come into my office and say, hmm, some financial guy you are, look what's happening. <laughs> Stock went from $15 to $25 to $35 oh to – it went up to about 200 bucks a share. And uh, oh at, at that point, oh. Herb said to me, uh, boy, I'm glad I didn't listen to you. And then about a day or two later, he came into my office with, uh, this is, I'm going to say, close to 90 days after the IPO, comes into my office with right. a, an agreement. And the agreement is basically an extension of his lockup agreement. As an individual oh. investor in the IPO, he was locked up from selling the stock for 90 days. So he's, he's in for uh, And night. the 90 days were about to expire, and the ICGE folks wanted to do a secondary offering, so they asked all the shareholders to sign a lockup agreement. And I looked at the lockup agreement, and I said, Herb, this is insane. It's 200 bucks a share. They don't make any money. It's all, you know, Internet fantasy. If we don't sell <laughs> it now, uh, you, if you sold it now, you could you could change your whole company. We could pay off all of our debt. The banks would be overjoyed with us. And then we could go right, and right. live our lives a, a normal way, and uh, as normal companies do. And Herb said, yeah. thank you very much for your input, that that stock's going to go to $500. Dollars. So he signed a lockup agreement, and uh-huh. 
I'm going to say within 90 days, that stock was about 50 cents a share. So, and, and I think it, oh, it, it actually went down to as low as 10 cents a share. So the million dollars oh, just evaporated, uh, or actually the $200 million just evaporated. And, and I would never say, part of your wisdom as a CFO dealing with the CEO founder is you never say, I told you so, because that's a wise move. Asking, uh, asking for your letter of resignation, frankly. But uh, that right. story I guess told many, many times. writing this thing, though. It's incredible. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, it oh, just it was God. very bad. It was very bad timing. And ICG, I think <laughs> ICG still exists, but in a very different form. And and they they did a reverse stock split, and they tried to get the stock price up. But I think most of the companies that ICG were incubating have long since gone away. Oh, very funny story. Geez. Gosh, but you know it it does show one thing that that. Uh, I certainly will get behind your advice that uh, do, uh, you know, deal in the, play in your own field. If you really know about uh, Internet uh, profits, if you're really familiar with that industry, fine. If you're selling meat, stick with meat. It, it, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. Well, the irony, Bert, is that, uh, Bart, is that uh, when we – I had actually brought in at one of the one of the ICGE companies – that they were trying mm-hmm. to incubate into our office. It was a it was oh. an online meat market, uh, you know, a kind of an internet eBay of, yeah, eBay of, one of uh, cow meat. And when I talked yeah. to the guys for about two Amazon hours, Amazon of flesh I, kind of thing. Yeah. You got it. I realized that that essentially they didn't have anything they were selling. They were selling. Uh, they were hoping that you would sign on because they were using going to use you as a beta test test site. And that's when I was, I was really convinced that we had just bought uh, nothing but uh, a pig in the poke there, oh. as, as they say. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, they, I think so. With so much of the early internet, was it was they 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 got they were a lot of the founders were amazed that you can't fax an anvil to Kansas. That, that you know, somewhere along the line, there's got to come fulfillment, and that, that shocked a lot of folks. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, if you've been, if you've just joined us, you're listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the profoundly misperceived realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download it by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And I hope that you will all uh, continue to stick with us because we have Mike Marty, and he is telling us the the absolute true and seemingly amazing stories that are going on with in corporate governance at at uh at some of the more amazing levels. Now, you were also Mike, you were the uh director of on Green Mountain Coffee Roasters and um apparently along with a great number of the buddies of the CEO and founder Bob Stiller and you were kind of the driving force in making Keurig so widely successful and in fending off a lot of the questionable claims and proved yourself squeaky clean to the SEC. And then you were, correct me if I'm wrong, you were sort of seduced, traduced, enticed, uh, lassoed into the board chair position. And you found yourself having to do a board, ship, a board membership makeover, and you brought in a whole new team. Now, could you tell us... Who you called and what you were looking for when when you're given this this duty of being a board to, to make over the board? Sure. So so I, and, I, and I, I believe me, I think Bob and his uh, and his uh, uh, associates who were really 
on on the Green Mountain Board for years are the ones who really drove this, the primary this, the the success of the business model. I just happened to show up uh, after they passed the Sarbanes-Oxley law and then uh, helped defend off uh, what I what I would call specious claims on the part of an activist investor who had the year of the SEC. So my, my major claim to fame at Green Mountain was, I, 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 Bob, that, that company owes all its success to Bob, uh, but it also owns its near death to, to, to uh, some of the things, some of the things that, uh, uh, some of the things that were, were perpetuating there before I joined. And essentially what happened is I got dubbed the CEO or the chairman of the board after uh-huh. both the chairman and the founder and the lead director got caught in um, very, very big margin calls in a, in a, in a blackout period, oh. because the company the company was under siege, and and Bob's uh, the Bob's associates, who were all terrific people, uh, I might add, mm-hmm. said, you know, we we really need an independent board chairman, and we're going to make you it. Right. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And you were absent that day, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I walked out of the room for two minutes. Uh, but but having said that, uh, what what the board asked me to do it was recruit. Now that the company was close to a three or four billion dollar company, to recruit, uh, you know, a new board, or to supplement the existing board. Excuse me, uh, Mike. I I really do not want to interrupt this, but could you could you just adjust uh, adjust your mic there a, a little bit? So I sure we have a few little squeaks. Sure. Yeah. Can you hear me okay, now? Go ahead. Yeah. So, so uh, essentially, what what the new, what the board asked me to do was recruit uh, people in in industry, well-known people in industry, to add gravitas and experience to the board in various fields. Right. So uh, I set about, you know, recruiting um, a new uh, a new director who was happened to be the chairman of Fortune Brands, which was a very well-known company, a conglomerate oh, yeah, company sure. that had also been attacked by activist shareholders and had split itself up uh. in the process. He was he was retired and available, so I recruited him after much cajoling and much talking and much convincing of him that essentially the company was squeaky clean. He agreed to join the board. And then uh, we recruited the former head of Kellogg's and the former chief marketing officer of uh, American Express and uh, the former uh, vice chairman of Procter & Gamble. So all these people came on the board uh, over a period of time. We expanded the board and gradually uh, some of the Folks that had been on the board from the beginning, uh, you know, retired and went on their way after adding a lot of value, I might add. But uh, right. it was an interesting process, and uh, you know, I'm not convinced. <laughs> they they all joined the board for uh, different reasons. Most of them needed to be right. convinced sure. that we were that the company was, uh, which was being attacked by uh, this activist shareholder, uh, activist investor, and uh, the SEC was essentially, you know, squeaky clean. And, uh, you know, we just had a whole new board, and and after running with a whole new board for about two years, I think the board... Excuse me, hello? Uh, Get out of the eye uh, of the public in order to expand in a way which would allow us to not necessarily hit every quarterly, you know, every quarterly mark that we had said we'd hit. And uh, I think the company now is doing very, very well 
under private ownership, but we sold it for close to a 90% premium over the weighted average selling price of the stock, which was a big win-win-win for everybody except the investor who had been attacking the company. And Bob <laughs> became a, a billionaire twice over as a result of that sale, which was, uh, which was very, wow. very great. Uh, and a lot of people in Vermont, uh, which is where the company was based, uh, we uh, made a lot of Vermont uh, millionaires in the process, which is great. Oh, it's, I think the dairy farmers owe you a great debt. Oh, this has been just fascinating. And with, with all this, I think it's time for us to take a brief survey from our Feast of Wisdom and allow me to briefly introduce you the company by whose good graces we are here today, and that firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of, um, among several other divisions, Bart's, Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides. And you may visit Bart's books and explore a wide wealth of business masters' uh, words and insights, including one of the books uh, that you might want to look at. It's called So That's How They Do It, Tactics of Business Masters. And this is one of my favorite books projects, primarily because of the readership. We designed this book for what we call the intellectual elite. I'm sorry, the, the energized elite is really what they are. These are these individuals who want to push themselves up from the swivel chair, get up, and will do whatever it takes to seize the better, tool, the better business tool and apply it to their own job. And this is this book is a collection, so that's how they do it, of all the tactics and disciplines and mindsets that have <clears throat> brought up uh, a great deal of success to individuals. So uh, I invite you all to take a look at it, and you may see that book by visiting bartsbooks.com. That's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. And while you're there, oh, by the way, while you're there, go to the home, go to that little blue mailbox that you see by the bookstore, and that will, you can subscribe absolutely free to your weekly business quips, and you can get a little laughter and uh, a little wisecracking afterthought, uh, guaranteed to uh, put a smile on your lovely countenance. And speaking of decision-making wisdom, why don't we return now to Mr. Mike Marty and I... Mike, I want to ask you, uh, we're run, we're, in the time we have left, there's oceans of ink have been spilled over the whole issue of boardroom diversity. You know, the statistics get tossed around 69% white males, Fortune 500, da 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 and, and some European nations are even uh, pushing uh, diversity mandates. I mean, personally, I can understand why you want a diversity of expertise as you, on, on a board. You're given zone defense. But do you really see any good reason for choosing corporate governance based on gender or ethnicity? Well, I, you know, that's a great question, Bart. I think I see uh, uh, that competence has to be the overwhelming uh, common denominator here in terms of uh-huh. choosing board skills. It's it's good to have as a factor, I think, people who mirror the market to which you sell. So, uh, you know, it, it, I think I think, but board diversity is a very uh, uh, noble goal, and I think it's uh, mm-hmm. the right direction to move in, provided there's competence and provided there's enthusiasm for the assignment that the people are undertaking. And I, I don't. I don't think any. I think I, I put it this. I'll put it this way, Bart. I don't think there's anything wrong with board diversity. I think it's really good, and I think it's better to have a diverse point of view on the board, whether it's uh, uh, women, uh, men, uh, uh, race, uh, any type of ethnicity. Uh, you should try. 
not the sure. mirror the market that you're selling into, and the market okay. of the people that actually you hire. I think is a, it's not it's, it's it's a noble goal, but the overwhelming common denominator needs to be competence. Yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Oh, Mike, there's so much more I wanted to ask. I wanted to find out about uh, the you have, your how you shepherded through Toomey Holdings uh, into the buying uh, merge with Samsonite, and there's a lot more. You're gonna have to promise to come back for us so we can we can continue this. I hope you can. Well, I'd be delighted to, Mark. Uh, and just uh, one more thing: if if anyone is seeking uh, a board of directors, I don't know if you're free at all anytime, but I know, or if they're seeking some advice uh, as forming a board, how might they get in touch with you? Well, I, I think they they could contact uh, you or they can contact uh, me at uh, mjmarty at gmail.com. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm also probably a pretty well-known fixture in the uh, New Jersey financial community, so people in, in, uh, people in New Jersey know where to get in touch with me. Uh, right. But uh, always right. happy to help uh, people choosing uh, choose, uh, the right kind of governance practices and, and the right kind of skill sets on their board. It's a, it's a, oh, it's very right. important to have great corporate governance to, to make sure shareholders and all the stakeholders get a decent return. Okay, I, you're absolutely true, and I thank you so much. And we definitely will have you back uh, real soon. Thank you for coming on, Mike. Bart, thanks for and having me. And thank you. And as we round out today's feast, I'm Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation, who was it who said, the test of our progress is not whether we add abundance to those who have much, is whether we provide for those who have too little. And as a hint, uh, this author was this longest serving president of the U.S. Uh, provided so many of those who had too little with a whole new deal. And if you know the author of this quote, simply scribble that name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com to win an absolutely power-thrusting, career-changing <laughs> gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, given a little scotch and a lot of time, any man can dream big. Send me the person who will lavish the sweat and brain cells to transform that dream into a venture. And do tune in to The Art of the CEO next week as we are going to bring you one of the nation's most amazing and effective organization builders, Mr. Mark Keen, who is going to mentor you on the creation and sustaining and care and petrol feeding of a professional organization. And to you who have been gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the art of the CEO as much as Mar <clears throat> excuse me, Mike and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you who have honored us with your time, may I say as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you. <laughs>